you can turn and open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, is where we're going to be uh, during our time together. And um, one of the things that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed, um, at, at Christmas, and I've noticed it a little bit more this year as I've been talking with folks and spending time with folks in the community, the thing that replaces the, the, the question or the conversation started that replaces the weather around November, December, and, and, and even one person I was around back in October asked me, are you ready for Christmas? So, is everybody ready for Christmas? Let me see the hands. How many, how many of you are ready? How many of you are going shopping tonight? All right. Hallelujah. I'll see you there. All right. <laughs> Don't tell Kristen. Okay. Um, no, but, uh, right, I mean, how many of you have heard that, right? You've heard, hey, are you ready for Christmas? And, and typically when we hear that, what's being asked is, do you have all the Christmas decorations up? Do you have your shopping done? Or is the food, you know, have you been to Hannaford yet? Or Shaw's, or whatever your grocery shopping pleasure may be. Um, you know, is the wrapping done? Is this done? Is that done? So, so, so a lot of times, most of the time, when we ask that question, um, that's, that's the that's the question that we're asking. Are the wrappings of Christmas handled? But, but I want to ask that question of you this morning and just have you think about, are you ready for Christmas? And not in the sense of, you know, shopping's done like we've already talked about or grocery shopping or this or that or wrapping or anything like that. But I want to, talk, I want to ask you, is your mind ready for Christmas? Is your attitude ready for Christmas? Is the heart right for Christmas? You know, so we meet ourselves coming and going, and, and we, call it, we call it this Christmas rush, right? The Christmas rush, where you avoid the mall area traffic like you wouldn't believe. We, we, try, to, we, try, to, um, we try to get around it, and, and sometimes the Christmas season can just become hectic. And because of that, we tend to forget much of what the season means. With that in mind... I want to look at, I read this this past week, what Christmas really means. And I love this saying. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Christmas says God became a human being. God expressed his love by living among us, walking with us, and talking to us. God expressed his love by living among us, walking with us, and talking to us. You know, that's what Christmas means. That's what Christmas means. But what are the right attitudes that we ought to have so that Christmas can really happen in our homes and in our lives? And to, so to look at the attitude of Christmas, to look at the right attitudes for Christmas this week and for the next 48 hours or so and beyond, um, I, I want us to look at the life of Joseph. Because Joseph does not get a lot of airtime in the Gospels. Um, we see him most here in, in, in Matthew chapter 1. He shows up in Luke. He's barely mentioned, if at all, in Mark um, or John. And so I wanted us to look at the life of Joseph, though, because I was telling Kristen last night, I don't think I've ever spent a Christmas message really looking at this message of Joseph and his response to the whole thing. Because he's placed in a little bit of an awkward situation here that we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at 18 through 25. He doesn't stand in the spotlight very long. We don't know a lot about his life, but I believe Joseph can teach us a lot about attitudes, attitudes that can make 
Christmas real in our lives this morning. So Matthew chapter 1, starting verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that. I don't know about you, but that just never gets old to me. Emmanuel, God with us. Talk about the presence at Christmas, right? God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The first thing that I believe contributes to the right attitude at Christmas is this. Accept God's will, whatever it might be. Accept God's will, whatever it might be. The first thing that Joseph teaches us is to be ready to accept God's will, whatever it might be. Joseph was open to the will and leading of God. And what I see in Joseph's life here is a trust. It's a trust. Because at first, okay, I'm going to resolve, I'm just, you know, I don't want to put her to shame. I'm just going to divorce her quietly and go on. And, and as he was thinking about this things, these things, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And you know, I don't know about you, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I like to put parameters or, or, or time limits on God. Okay, God, if you want me to do this, then you've got to provide this, you've got to show me that, and this person's got to do that, and then I'll know, I'll know God for sure that you're in it, and I'll do what you're asking me to do, what I think you're asking me to do. Right? Anybody ever done that with God? Okay, God, if you show up by this time and do this, I do, I do that with God quite often. <laughs> I do that with God quite often. I remember one time, it was the first time ever, I think it was about six, seven years ago, I went ice fishing. Okay, so we talked about the life of Joseph and kind of pictured Joseph and put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Put yourself in my shoes for just a moment. Young man, born and raised in North Carolina. Hey, show up at this lake at 5.30 in the morning. What is it with fishing at 5 in the morning? Is, are the fish like dumb at that point? Like dumber at that point than they are at 1 in the afternoon or 9 a.m. or something like that? Like why 5.30 in the morning? This was my first time ice fishing, and I was a part of a tournament. I was on a team, and we were trying to, you know, catch the big one um, in this tournament. So no pressure, right? And I'm with my father-in-law, and so again, no pressure. And I show up, a part next to this, 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 this beside of this lake, and, and, you know, I just thought we were going to park and just walk right, you know, be, be close. And, and in the distance, I see these lights coming to me, and it was a four-wheeler pulling a trailer on the ice. And I thought, that's interesting. Sure enough, it was my ride. I thought, okay, it's been good. Jesus, I'll see you soon. And um, 
And, uh, and so jump on this. We had four guys and a bunch of supplies on this, on this four-wheeler pull, pulling this trailer. We went like to the near, uh, clear other side of the lake. Can we get out? And, and somebody hands me this electric auger. And I thought, oh, this is a great idea, right? Drill holes in the ice. Maine does need Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. So I started drilling holes, and, and, and while I was drilling holes, I noticed that, that a couple of the other guys had lit a grill on the ice. And so we made breakfast on the ice, and we had bacon and sausage and egg. I mean, it was unreal. Anyway, back to the point. Um, I was sitting out there three hours in or so, and, and Kristen and I, we we're, were trying to make a big decision. We were trying to make a big decision, and we, you know, we're praying about it. We weren't hearing from God, and we're like, okay, you know, and so, so, so I decided, you know, I'm out here freezing, you know, waiting for this flag to pop up so that we can all just run like crazy to this, this hole and only to find a nibble. And, um, and so I'm sitting out here, I, I'll pray. Okay, God, here, here's the deal. If you want us to do this, one of these flags needs to pop up in the next two minutes. Right? One of these flags, just one of these flags needs to pop up in the next two minutes. And if, and if that happens, then we'll do the hard thing that we think you're asking us to do. Two minutes go by. Okay, God, two more minutes, right? Two more minutes. And then, and then this thing, right? Have you ever done that with God? And you just keep going, you keep going, and then that thing shows up. Okay, God, all right, I saw that. Level two. Now, make this thing happen in my life. And then, and then if that happens, then I'll, really, then I'll really do what you called me to do. We did that with, with God when we were called to Maine. We were, um, we were doing ministry, and we said, okay, God, if you're really calling us to Maine, I need an email by midnight. I don't know where you think about this stuff. I don't know how you feel about this stuff. But at 11.56, I got an email, and here I am. Right? And so how often do we do that with God where we're like, okay, God, if, if this, then, then you'll do this. And we, and we put God in this box. But for a second, let's put ourselves in Joseph's position. I found this really interesting. When we really think about Joseph's life, he must have thought that his life was pretty well set, pretty well planned. He was pledged to be married, which means that he and Mary probably had made all the necessary arrangements. The wedding ceremony was probably soon to take place. Joseph knew that he would marry Mary, say that five times fast, and that they would settle down in Nazareth. He would continue on in his carpentry business. They would probably live happily ever after together. And then one day, Mary came to him and said, um, Joseph, you'll never believe what's happened. I'm expecting a baby. It must have hit him pretty hard. I mean, think about this for a moment. He thought that Mary loved him as much as he loved her, but now seemingly she had been unfaithful to him. He knew that this child wasn't his, so the only conclusion that he could reach was that she had been unfaithful. She had broken the bond that existed between them. So, according to the law of that time, Mary should be stoned to death. But Joseph loved her so much that he didn't want that, so he decided to, to divorce her quietly, like we read. 
And then as he was thinking about this, an angel came to Joseph in a dream and, and in effect said, Joseph, trust God. He's in this. He's in this. You may not understand all that's happening. You may not feel the best about it, but just trust God. He's in this thing, and if he's in this thing, everything will be all right. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to accept God's will. Sometimes it's hard to accept the things that God's doing. But Joseph learned how to accept God's will no matter, no matter what it might be. No matter how hard it was, no matter what it looked like, no matter what the hardship meant that, that he was in for. He was evidently a man of faith. But I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to live by faith. If God doesn't always do what we expect Him to do, but if He does, if God always expects, uh, does what we expect Him to do, it's easy to live by faith. But when He doesn't do what we expect, it's hard. But I want you to see that Joseph trusted God. Even though he probably had a, a, a list of questions a mile long, he trusted God because he believed that God's will was best. And I believe that there, in order for us to love, in order for us to love each other, in order for us to love the people around us, there's trust involved. Right? There's trust involved. We find ourselves in the same position most of the time as Joseph. See, Christmas comes as a time of peace, but there's conflict. Christmas comes as a time of joy, but there's sadness. Christmas comes as a time of love, but there's, there's a lot of hatred around us. So no doubt, some of us cry out like Joseph must have cried out, God, how can this be? How can this be? And then there's that still small voice from God saying, trust me. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts than your thoughts. But trust me, I've got this. And you're not going to understand everything that I'm doing this side of heaven but I've got this. I've got this. Christmas happened because Joseph trusted God. And I think today we need to learn how to trust Him. For some of us the first time, for some of us again. Because when it comes to love, there's trust involved. Accept God's will, whatever that may be. What an attitude of Christmas. What an attitude of Christmas. Accepting God's will whatever it might be. Number two, from Joseph's life, from this little snapshot into Joseph's life, we see that he cared about other people. He cared about other people. He had learned to care about other people. And from this, from Joseph, we need to learn to care about other people. See, Christmas comes once a year, right? Some of you are like, yeah, thank goodness. And this season probably causes us to be more sensitive to the needs of others. We see it around us, right? We're more sensitive to the needs of others. Things that we notice, things that affect us this time of year, they seem to affect us more in December than they do the other 11 months of the year. We tend to notice these things a little bit more around Christmas time. But there's so much that needs to be done. There's so many things that stand in the way. There are so many Christmas cookies for your pastor that need to be made. What's so funny? <laughs> that a lot of times we find ourselves frustrated and distracted. Don't get frustrated on my account. But we still try. 
maybe the finest descriptive, I love this, maybe the finest descriptive title that can be given a church is this. A church that really cares. A church that really cares. A church that really cares about the gospel. A church that really cares about people. A church that really cares about my family. A church that really cares about me. What does it look like to be that? See, Christmas came because Joseph cared about Mary and Jesus. It will also come for us when we learn to care about others, too. I was watching one of those movies last night. It was one of those movies that you blame on your kids, right? I only watched it because the kids wanted to watch it. And so I, we started it yesterday afternoon, and then we ran out of time. So we, you know, we hit the DVR. We recorded the rest of it because the kids wanted to see how it ended. So after the kids were in bed last night, I turned this movie back on to see how it ended. Just because I needed to make sure it was appropriate for the kids. FTK, right? For the kids. Everything's for the kids. What did I ever do before I could blame things on the kids? I was, anyway, um, let's not go there. Different message. Um, and so I was watching this movie, and, and it got to the point like a lot of Christmas movies get to, right? D- disaster struck. The cat burned through the living room floor. You know, I wasn't watching that one, okay? I wasn't watching that one. I've already watched that one weeks ago. Anyway, um, but, you know, the catastrophe had happened. Everything was falling apart. Christmas was ruined, right? And then the pieces started to get put back together. And I thought this was really applicable for, you know, church and, 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 and for, for us as individuals and all of that. When things started coming back together, the dad came back and he looked and he said, you know what families do at Christmas? You know what families do at Christmas? They fight with each other. But then they come back together and they, and they love each other. And that's what makes Christmas so special. And I thought, wow, that's sad. But then I thought about a phone call I had yesterday with a friend of mine who said, yeah, we just we had our annual Christmas blow up. Wow. That's sad, but true. Right? Doesn't mean that we care less for each other. In fact... What's probably happening is we care so much about something that we're trying to make happen or we care so much about a tradition that we're trying to protect or we care so much about this and it's different this year for whatever the circumstances may be. Maybe this happened, maybe that happened, maybe the finances are different and we're just trying to keep this, we're trying to protect this, we're trying to make this happen and we care so much and the, 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 the frustration gets high because, because it's just not going the way it always went or, or what have you and, and fuses are blowing and, and, and all of this is... all. all all of it's going wrong. So it probably happened maybe because we cared so much. Or maybe one person cared so much and the other person was just didn't. I saw that elbow. I'm not going to point, but I saw that elbow. I love the picture of Joseph. Because we, because we see the reality of the story, right? <laughs> Mary, what'd you do? You ruined everything. You've wrecked it all. And according to the law, according to the law, you know, you, you should be stoned to death. But, but, but I don't want to do that to you. I care too deeply for you. 
And you know, we see the back and forth, and then, and then as he's thinking about it, right, he has the dream, and everything makes sense, and Joseph chooses, right, chooses to trust God, and then everything shifts, and we see, we see in the story that, that Joseph took this, this pregnant woman, Mary, and, and made sure that she had everything she needed to have the baby, and then, and then, and then he took the responsibility of his own as his own, right? And, he, and, and you, we can just see, we can see that he was a caring person, probably from the South. <laughs> but we see the care that Joseph had. What does it look like for us to carry that same? And then number three, from the life of Joseph, from this little snapshot that we get from Joseph, we see that he gave whatever he had to give. We gave whatever he had to give. And for us to have the right mindset, we've got to learn to give whatever we have to give, whatever it takes to give. And here's the thing, before you jump to conclusions, we're going to pass the offering bucket in a second. We're going to take that special Christmas offering. But don't think about the money yet. I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> not going to happen. That happens tomorrow night. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that, okay? We're not talking about necessarily money here. I mean, certainly in December and, and around the holidays and stuff like that, we're more generous with our money and, and, and we give to certain things. And we've been able, I think I mentioned this earlier, to, 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 to do things as a church this year that we've never been able to do before. We've been able to meet, to meet some needs this year we've never been able to meet. And it's been awesome and it's felt really good. But you know what some people need? A hug. A hug. Yesterday would have been 51 years for my mom and dad. 51 years. Can you imagine? And so yesterday I just had to walk up to my mom and put my arm around her. Right? Because sometimes that's just what people need. If they're driving you crazy, don't tell them off and throw something at them. Okay, Emily? Sometimes people need to be built up. But whatever the need was, I can just picture Joseph being right there to give. I can picture Joseph, I mean, I mean just because we see it, right? We see it in, in when he trusted God and shifted the attitude and shifted the perspective. Okay, this was the type of guy that was going to give whatever he had to give to make sure that the things that needed to happen were going to happen. Joseph gave whatever he needed to give, whatever he had to give. Christmas came because Joseph gave. He didn't know that after Jesus was born, he would have to take Mary and the baby into Egypt. He didn't know that He'd be separated from his hometown and his loved ones there for a long period of time. He didn't know all the demands that would be made on his time raising the baby Jesus. But whatever God asked of him, Joseph freely gave. He trusted, he cared, and he gave. And that is what Christmas is, isn't it? 
I mean, that's the mindset. That's the attitude of Christmas that we see from here. You can have my life. This is what God said at Christmas. You can have my life. You, you, can, you can have me. I give myself. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful gift. Christmas says that God became a human being. God expressed His love by living among us, walking with us, and talking to us. When we talk about the love, when we light the candle of love, this week I couldn't get the verse out of my mind from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. So my question for you today is, what does it look like for the love of Christ to control your life? For this, for this trust, for this, for this caring mindset, for this, for this attitude of giving to just overtake you for the next couple days. I thought of the church at Ephesus. We see in the book of Ephesians when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he talks about, depending on which version you read and depending on which commentators and scholars you read and all of that stuff, he, he talks about love to the church at Ephesus at least 20 times in this short book. 20 times. 20 times that he talks about love to the church at Ephesus. And then we see in Revelation chapter 2, which just to bring you up to speed, if you've never read it before, maybe you have and, and have forgotten a little bit of background. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we see Jesus writing these letters to these seven churches. And, the, and one of the first ones he writes, the first one he wrote, was to the church at Ephesus. And so we see in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to this church at Ephesus. He talks about love 20 times. And then when we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, you can go ahead and turn there if you want to follow along. It'll be on the screen if, if, if that's that's more your speed. But in Revelation chapter 2, we pick up with the church at Ephesus where Jesus writes to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Get this. Hear what Jesus says to this church. It's awesome. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Man, what a testimony for the church at Ephesus, right? What a beautiful thing for Jesus to say about the church at Ephesus. And then we get to verse 4. But, but, I have this against you. That you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The fascinating thing about this, and I'm not going to spend too much time in, in it because, because I want to focus on the church at Ephesus. In all seven letters, Jesus praises the church, He corrects the church, and He, and he gives a promise to the church. He says some good things. He praises them. He says, hey, you're doing this really well, but I have this against you. And then He charges them, and He, and he, and he tries to correct them and, 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 and rebuke them even. And he says, and then he says at the end, in all seven letters to the churches, if you do this, here's the promise. 
Here's the promise. I want us to focus on the correction here. For this church, where Paul talked about love at least 20 times, the correction that Jesus has for the church at Ephesus, you've walked away from your first love. You've walked away from the love you had at first. Or as in Top Gun, you've lost that loving feeling. You never close your... Anyway. I tried not to, and you told me not to, but it just was there. You've lost the love you had at first. You've lost the love you had at first. But I'm thankful he didn't stop there. How do you get the love back? He gives three things. The first thing he says is remember. 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 Remember when the love of Christ became real to you. Remember when Jesus became real to you. Remember when God's love was made real to you. Remember that? You remember that? Go back to that moment. Go back to the moment where you said, I can't save myself. I've done all of this. I've done that. I've I've been searching for the real thing for a long time. and, And I think I found it in Jesus. I don't understand it all. This doesn't make sense. I read the Bible and it's confusing. But I know this. Jesus is real and God loves me and I want a relationship with him. Go back to that moment. Remember. Remember the love you had at first. I was sitting in membership class Wednesday night with like 10 folks and part of membership class is where I recount the moment that God called us here and that email at 11.56 and then the prayer that my wife prayed, God drop it in our lap and and then this happening and this happening and walking through that, I fell in love with this place all over again. I fell in love with you all over again and Maine just felt warmer all of a sudden Wednesday night. Because I went back to the moment eight and a half years ago when God called me here. Remember. Jesus says, go back to the love you had at first. Remember the love you had at first. I love uh, talking with couples and, and working with couples who are in crisis or just, just, just need to have a conversation, need to have a listening ear or uh, a ref. It's real. And one of the things I love talking with couples about is, hey, go back to when you first met. With wives, sometimes I, say, I need to say, when, go back to when you first fell in love, because those two are different. <laughs> they were for my wife. <laughs> go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. And Jesus says, listen, listen, you've lost the love you had at first, but remember, remember, Remember when it became real to you. And the second thing he says is repent. 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 And we don't make enough of this, I don't, I don't think, anymore. Because, because, because here's the way we treat our stuff. right? Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, there's some things that have come in between you and my love. There's some distractions. There's some wedges that you've placed in between me and you and our relationship. And there's some division now. 
And so, and so a lot of times we treat repentance like this. Okay, I'm going to set that to the side. But there's some things that make me comfortable about that right there. There's some things that bring me security about that right there. So I'm just going to keep it in the peripheral. I'm going to keep it in the peripheral. I'm just, I, I got to keep sight of it. I know it's a distraction, but I don't want to let it out of my sight right now. So uh, Jesus, I'm focusing on you, but I'm going to keep this right here. It's a process, right? It's a process. That's not repentance. That's just not repentance. Repentance teaches us, repentance in Scripture talks about and teaches us that we set something down and we turn the opposite direction from it and go to Jesus. That's repentance. And so when Jesus says, repent, repent from the things that are separating you from my love, I forget what it says exactly. Can you go back to verse 4 or 5? Repent and do the works you did at first. So repent from the thing that's coming in between us. Do the things you did at first. He's saying lay it down and leave it, not to touch it again. Maybe you need to tell some people, hey, I'm laying this down. And if you see me get close to it again, stop me. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need to go and say, hey, listen, this is happening in my life. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to get back to the love of Jesus. I need your help laying this thing down. Jesus, Jesus makes no bones about it. Listen, remember the love you had at first. Repent. Repent. And then number three, repeat. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Repeat. Repeat the things you did at first. Repeat the things that kindled that love and passion for Jesus in the beginning. Repeat it. Repeat it. Don't get tainted by all the church stuff. Don't get, don't, 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 don't get, don't get disjaded with Jesus because of stupid people. You know, don't, sorry. I can talk about him because I is one. Go back and do the things you did at first. Repeat. 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 So maybe it's just this I don't know. Optimism for the church. But I hear some people say things like, man, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to just go back and have this carefree love for Jesus that we had when we first met him? Wouldn't it be awesome? What's stopping you? Whatever it is, repent of it. What got in the way? Repent of it. Repent of it. One of the things I love that J.D. Greer said, J.D. Greer is a pastor down in Durham, North Carolina. He actually pastors a church called Summit Church. They stole our name. They've only been around for like eight years. I want to make sure I get this right. One of the things he says is this, when it comes to repentance, don't think that just because God uses you powerfully, you're personally right with him. Don't think just because God uses you powerfully, you're personally right with him. There may be some things you may be sitting here today, and you may say, and 
No doubt some of us in the room have thought it, felt it. I just can't get into this Christmas spirit. I just can't get into I just can't. Let's walk back. Christmas is God with us sending Jesus so that we could have access and be in relationship with Him. That is a spiritual thing. And so I get, I can't get into the, I can't get into the wrappings. I get that. I'm with you there. I can't get into the, I can't, I can't get into the, the, the stuff. I get that. But may we never, may we never be restricted from the right attitude of Christmas that I can't get into God the creator of the universe, sending a savior so that I could have access and relationship with him for eternity. Because if there's something standing in the way of me getting into that and having the right attitude with that, then it's sin. And it's something I need to repent of. Remember, remember that moment that he became real to you. Repent of whatever's standing in the way and repeat the things you did at first. Repeat the things you did at first. That's Christmas. And so this morning as I pray for you, I want you to think back. I want you to think back. I was listening to Francis Chan, who's an author, speaker this week, and it reminded me of something, a story that, that he tells. Francis Chan was a pastor for many years, and, 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 and there was a season where things just became dry for him, right? I'm glad that never happens to us. But there was a season where things just became dry for him. And so he... he, he took a, a period of time for three months and he said, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to start with the Gospels and I'm going to read the story of Jesus like it's my first time reading it. I'm going to read the story of Jesus. I'm going to read the, the, the Gospel. And he started at Matthew. He went to Revelation. And then he, then he went back to Genesis and went to Malachi, that Italian book at the end of the Old Testament. <laughs> and, and, and so when he did it, when he did it, you know what came out of that? He wrote a book called Crazy Love. If you've never read Crazy Love, it's an awesome book. I highly recommend it. It would be a great Christmas gift for anybody in this room. But he wrote Crazy Love because he realized that God was crazy about him. so crazy about him that he went through unbelievable lengths to show his love to a people. To show his love to him. To make his love known to the world. And maybe you're sitting here this morning you're like, man, I'm a little like Francis. Things are dry for me. Go back to the beginning. Go back to when it started. For you, go back to the beginning of the Gospels. What a great opportunity this week to go back to Matthew and read Matthew chapter 1 
Just read the story of Jesus. A great opportunity. So as I pray for you this morning, as I pray for us this morning, I pray that we'd be reminded of the love of Christ and the attitude of caring and the attitude of trusting and the attitude of giving would go deeper than just the normal wrappings for the next 24 hours, but in the next, I mean 48 hours, but for the next 48 hours, what would it look like to go back to that love at first? And for that attitude and that love of Jesus to drive every interaction, every conversation that we have, every thought, every action for the next few days. And what does it look like for that to continue? So God, I pray that your love, the love of Jesus would control us. God, not love for things or tradition or anything else that might stand in the way of the expression of your love for us today, tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, next week, next month, next year, that nothing else would stand in the way of your love for us. God, that for some of us in this room, God, that there's something standing in between us and, and you. God, I pray for repentance. God, I pray that we would do whatever it takes today to get that out of the way, that we'd walk out of this place different than when we walked in because we're laying something down. We're laying something down. There's something that's standing in the way of us and you. There's something that's, that's driven its way into our marriage. There's something that's driven its way in between our relationship with our children. God, whatever the case may be, whatever it is, that, 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 that sin that we need to lay at your feet this morning and repent of and walk out of here free from because you promised freedom in your son. God, I pray it would happen. I pray it would happen. And God, I thank you that you are a mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. God, what a beautiful name. And we'll sing about your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?